and welcome to episode three of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to find that thing in your fridge that smells a little funky. This week, we're diving into all things unique. We'll be discussing some games we've played recently, like Keyflower, Fuse, Pixel Tactics, and City of Remnants. We're going to talk about a board game accessory that is definitely unique and not really an accessory per se. And we're also going to discuss a bunch of games that have themes that fall outside the norm. And now, here are your hosts, Andy, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. So first, let's talk about some games we played recently. I I want to talk about a couple games. I actually got to play Keyflower recently. It's a bidding, town building, and producing and deliver game. I'm not sure exactly how to categorize it. But in Keyflower, you can you bid on buildings that you want to build in your town. And to bid, you have to use colored meeples. There's red, blue, and yellow. And then there's special green ones that you can only get using buildings and uh, transferring your other meeples to turn into green ones. But uh, when you get a building, you can build it in your town, but you can also use other people's buildings. And whoever uses your buildings, you get to keep the meeples for the next round. So there's, a, like, you want to get the powers of the buildings, but you also want to get the meeples so that you can use buildings later. And so there's a meeple management and buildings management and stuff. So it was pretty interesting. I managed to get a bunch of green meeples, and there was a bonus tile at the end for green meeples. So that was really fun, just hoarding a bunch of green meeples. <laughs> and that's key flower. And another game I played recently is Fuse, which came out in 2015. And Fuse is a real-time cooperative game. Um, so real-time cooperative games in general are hit or miss with people. Some people can't, don't like real-time games at all. So sometimes it's hard to find a group to play this. But I really like real-time games. And so this one, in Fuse, you're trying to disarm a bunch of bombs cooperatively. And the way it works is you have 10 minutes and there's a big pile of cards that are bombs and you have this bag of dice and you roll the number of dice that you have people and each person has to take a die and put it on their cards and the cards have different rules for how, for how the, how, which type of dice you need. For instance, one bomb card will be like, you have to have three dice that are the same number. So then if you take a dice but you can't fit it on your card, then you have to roll it and other people have to put back the dice that match either the color or the number of that dice. So you're working together to try to make sure everyone gets the dice that they can use and then disarm all the bombs in 10 minutes. So it's it's pretty frantic and hectic, but it's also very fun, I think. So I really want to play again. I really like real-time games like that. So Fuse is great. <laughs> it sounds interesting, and yeah. it sounds like... I don't know. It, it's uh, I'm also kind of a little hit or miss, like some people with real time games. Mm -hmm. I like I really like Escape the Curse of the Temple because mm -hmm. uh, everybody's kind of gets to do their own thing, and everybody yeah. you know like you need help sometimes, but not all the time. Whereas like with Space Team, I've played that, and you'll be yelling at the whole group like I need this one thing, and <laughs> no one's listening to you, and it's just so maddening to have nobody helping you and you're just sitting there like can't do anything that one fuse sounds like it's kind of a happy medium yeah so fuse so. is a mix it's it's more complicated than escape and you have to work together with people more but everyone is forced to take a die before you can move on so 
you know that like people will be getting certain dice. Um, so it's not like you're just ignoring one person. Like everyone has to get one dice, that one die. <laughs> Fun fact: We're going to be discussing die and dice <laughs> later on in the episode. <laughs> That's coming. Then, then I can learn something. <laughs> um, so something I've played recently is Pixel Tactics, which is uh, a head-to-head two-player like combat type game. Uh, when I first was reading the rules for it, I thought it reminded me a lot of uh, Stratego and Summoner Wars. The difference with this one is it has an adorable little like pixel like uh, old school video game references. Though I found this one to be a little overly complicated for what it was. You have a grid of like nine, um, yeah, nine. P- players you can have like on the board as part of your your battalion or whatever you want to call them and they all have these different abilities they can do depending on which which level they're on on the grid so there's like three in the front three in the middle three in the back and it's just it was a little overly complicated for what it was but it was a very cute theme I did enjoy that part of it for sure So a game that I was recently introduced to that I actually had not heard of at all was City of Remnants. It came out in 2013. It was published by Plaid Hat Games. It has a really good rating on BoardGameGeek, so I'm kind of surprised that I hadn't heard of it at all. Uh, A friend of mine this past week set it up at our weekly meetup before people showed up and was looking for players, and I said, sure, throw me in. Uh... The playtime on the box is listed at 90 minutes, which was kind of part of the reason I hopped in. I was like, oh, that's not so bad. And at this point in my career as a gamer, I should know better than to trust the box. <laughs> they they all lie. And it took my group, we, had a, we did a four-player game, which is the max for the game. It took us three hours to complete a game, and we weren't hemming and hawing over decisions. Like, we were reasonably quick, especially considering some of us were new to the game, and it still took us three hours. So wow. that's kind of my one beef with the game. But uh, just to explain it briefly, in City of Remnants, each player controls a gang in a work camp on a alien planet where they have been imprisoned by uh, another alien race who took over your planet. Basically, aliens came, they attacked you, they kicked you off your planet, and have now imprisoned you in this weird prison work camp area. Kind of reminds me of District 9 a little bit in that regard. (laughs) Players have to um, buy items, build developments, and avoid the, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Yugai, which is the name of the alien race. Uh, The Yugai police forces come to your area to control and make sure everybody's behaving. And they show up on different parts of the board, and you have to fight them if they show up where your characters are. And everything you're doing, you're recruiting new gang members and buying weapons and building developments in an effort to gain renown, which is the game's version of victory points, basically. So what's cool about this game is it incorporates a lot of really neat mechanics. So in this game, you've got area control, auctioning, deck building, 
combat that utilizes both cards and dice. It's a jack-of-all-trades. And with all of that combined, I actually thought it was going to be a little more difficult to get into, a little heavier. It doesn't really feel heavy when you're playing it, though. It was surprisingly easy to pick up. The more in-depth strategies, obviously... I was not as good with during the first game. And each of the four gangs, uh, different colors, red, yellow, green, blue, they have a different starting deck of gang members that have different abilities. Each gang is equipped to do certain things better than others. Like one is really good at recruiting new gang members. One is really good at acquiring money. One is really good at battles. So everybody's a little bit different to start off but then you can recruit gang members that have abilities outside of your starting ones to kind of vary it up a little bit. It was surprisingly wonderful, considering it's a game I'd never heard of. The length, ultimately, was a little bit of a turnoff for me. I would be willing to play it again, especially if I was playing with people who were familiar with it from the get-go, because I think it would go a little bit quicker. But I'm not probably adding it to my collection, just because if I'm going to play a game of this length or something close to that length, I'd go for something more like Runebound, which I discussed last week, which I just love, 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 love. <laughs> so, willing to play it again, but, and it's it's a really, it's a cool game. If you see it or have a chance to play it, I definitely recommend it. That is City of Remnants by Plaid Hat Games. Yeah, I had never heard of it either, so that's strange. That I, it's-, <laughs> it's rated 7 out of 10 on Board yeah. Game Geek. I, how that, I, not even a inkling of that it existed prior to this past week (laughs) yeah Hmm. so kind of going along with our theme of all things unique we wanted to talk about an accessory for board games as our accessory of the week segment that is also unique and it was a little difficult to come up with a solid one but we want to discuss 3D printers, which I don't think you would automatically think of as a board game accessory, but it seems like 3D printing has really upped the ante on ways gamers are able to customize and accessorize their board game collections. Yeah, because 3D printers can be used to make awesome accessories. I don't personally have a 3D printer, but my friend made custom Catan tiles using a 3D printer that he had at school. And so they had, like, little trees for the forest ones, and, like, I don't remember what else. There was, I think, a mountain, and it's, like, 3D tiles, which is really cool. That's super awesome. That is really neat. So when the robber is, like, trying to stand on the mountain, does he, like, fall over? (laughs) I I don't (laughs) There might be, like, a spot for the robber in each. He should fall over. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah, I guess there's a little circle spot for each um, of those circles. Oh, for tiles. the for the numbers. Yeah, so, so we could maybe the there. robber gets to sit right in the middle of the mountain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not like even the cool. valley. <laughs> I uh, I have a a small dice tower that a friend of mine 3D printed for me. It's cool because it's uh, the mi- the main part of it is a single piece, and then it has two. Uh, it's double sided. So you can put dice in the top and they'll come out on both sides of it. And there's little trays on each side of it that also cover up the tower itself when you store it. It's super neat. Uh, shout out to my friends Andrew and Trish 
Andrew being the same guy who did our awesome theme song. So lots of props to him (laughs) for having a 3D printer and for doing our theme song. But I've seen so many different things popping up online that were made with 3D printers. Like I saw a someone printed a box for Splendor because I know that the, oh, so they made, like, something a lot smaller because the Splendor box is absurdly large for what is in it? <laughs> yep. It is so <laughs> small compared to the, the standard box for Splendor, and it fits everything in there. And it's plastic, obviously, so it's a little sturdier than the cardboard. Uh, what else have I seen? Oh, but Betrayal at House on the Hill is kind of notorious for those character stat cards that the little clips on the side won't actually stay on. They never yeah, stay. Those are terrible. <laughs> so I know people have 3D printed replacement clips for the sides of that. That's a little excessive. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cheap. I, I yeah, basically yeah. the worst part of 3D printing is the actual designing of the the 3D piece itself. But once somebody else on the internet has done that, all you have to do is load the program into your 3d printer and let it go to town so sure i mean i don't have one so i don't actually know that it's that simple but i'm pretty (laughs) sure it's that simple i'm pretty sure it's that simple i've seen a lot of board game inserts um, made with 3d printers with games that have lots of fiddly bits like agricola and things like that kind of like what a broken token does with their little wood inserts do you guys think that as 3d printers become more affordable and a little more prevalent that we're going to see even newer or cooler stuff coming that we can use with board games, like little custom figures or stuff like that. People are going to have little figures of themselves for these games someday. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. uh, I desperately need one of me now. So yeah. let's, doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> yeah. Like for games like uh, Betrayal or whatever, where you only have the one character piece, have it be a tiny you instead of a tiny random person. <laughs> there was that an episode. Awesome. There was an episode of The Big Bang Theory where a couple of the characters got models of themselves 3D printed, and it was oh, pretty funny. Right. <laughs> I remember that. So. Clearly it's possible, although those were a little bigger. I think for board game purposes, sometimes the detail might be hard to find that small. That's true. Yeah. But as 3D printers get better, we'll, they'll get more detailed too, so <laughs> it'd be great. 3D printers, I know, could also probably be useful if you're trying to design a board game and you want to prototype it. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of game designers kind of steal pieces from other games when they're prototyping, but if you had a 3D printer, you could kind of print whatever you wanted to some extent. So that might make board game designing even easier and more accessible to the masses once the printers are a little more prevalent. Although I think the plastic or the the material is the expensive part, right? Right. I was just going to say that like (laughs) prototyping, sure, it's fine to do it that way, but I think in like uh, bulk production you would need not as so many plastic pieces maybe definitely Unless yeah your game is like super legit like and all miniatures or something yeah and the the quality i think you can get different qualities of plastic so some are more expensive than others but if you were making like one or two prototypes that would probably be fine yeah, yeah. so to go along with our unique theme this week. We're going to talk about some games that we like, just briefly, that have unique themes. Obviously, 
you, there's a thousand games out there that are fantasy themed or dungeon crawlers or things like that. Space themed games are all over the place. So I think it's kind of zombies. Oh, so many zombies. (laughs) (laughs) Cthulhu. Yes. So I think it's really refreshing to find a game that is enjoyable and kind of breaks the mold, goes out of the norm. So let's talk about a few games that we like that are not one of those common themes. Yeah. So one of my favorite designers is Vital Lacerda. And I think all of his games have unique themes. So I talked about CO2 last week. That's one of his games. It's about you're building factories and the world is getting filled up with CO2. His other games are Kanban, Galaris, and Vinhos, which are... Kanban is a car-building game where you're a factory manager, like, building a car. And Galarist, you are an art gallerist trying to find artists and promote them and showcase their art in your gallery. And Vinhos is a winemaking game, which... I, there are more winemaking games now, but I still think it's a pretty unique theme. So I think all of his games have unique themes and are good. Yeah, he definitely seems to go kind of out there, but his games are very well talked about. Like, everyone seems to love his stuff. Yeah. I actually haven't played any of them yet. <laughs> they're they're pretty... Uh, some of them are pretty heavy. Like yeah, he's yeah, they're heavy. They're, I, it's definitely not my normal type of game because the heavier euros are things that I kind of shy away from but I'm always willing to try a game once so I definitely want to try especially Kanban I've heard very good things about that one that might be the heaviest one that I've played so far (laughs) (laughs) perfect so I've I've picked the right one for me then (laughs) it's the perfect one Okay, so I'm going to talk about Hanabi, which is a cooperative game where you're building uh, fireworks displays, multiple fireworks displays even. And the unique thing that I like about this game in particular is that, um, well, the theme is fun, because how many games do you know where you get to build fireworks and then get scored based on how well your fireworks perform? Uh, But I really enjoy the fact that you're not actually looking at your own hand. Other people are looking at your hand and telling you what you have secretly sort of telling you very uh not completely telling you yeah, that was kind words. of mind-blowing the first time i played hanabi like it's yeah. so hard i always want to pick them up and look at the cards immediately <laughs> yeah looking at what everyone else has and not your own cards is so different than like you would expect so I think that's probably And then why. only being able to give like subtle clues for them to know what they have in their hand. Yeah. It's a really enjoyable cooperative game. Yes. For one of my favorite designers actually. A uh yeah. a game with a unique theme that I enjoy is Guillotine. It's a game where you are literally chopping off the heads of nobles during the <laughs> French Revolution. The cards uh have very cartoonish, like, cute art on them, so it's not as serious as the theme would imply when you're playing it. It's a card game, and you just are lining up all the nobles and sending them to the guillotine, and you get points based on which nobles you kill. So, it's pretty fun. I actually, a friend of mine made me a miniature wooden guillotine, so when I play guillotine, instead of using the little flimsy paper guillotine that it comes with, I actually have a miniature wooden guillotine that I can line all the nobles up next to. And it's, <laughs> that's, 
uh, it's you. It goes over really well when I bring that out with friends. That's really cool. <laughs> it's one of my favorite games. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to learn. It's it's a lot of fun. It's quick to play. Another game with a unique theme. It's not easy to learn. <laughs> it's not quick to play, <laughs> but it's called Dungeon Pets, and it's made by Vlada Shvato. I don't know if I said his name right. Um, but so in Dungeon Pets, you are a pet store owner, and so there are like in dungeon crawling games, there's like the monsters, right? And but these monsters come from the pet. They start as babies as cute little baby pet monsters, and then the dungeon lords buy them as their pets. So in Dungeon Pets, you are trying to raise these pets, and you have to, like, play with them, make sure they don't get angry, you clean up their poop. and um, <laughs> So you want to make sure you raise them well, and then you can sell them to the Dungeon Lords. And, um, yeah, it's it's pretty thematic, but it's also a pretty heavy game. It's a worker placement game. So the the art is also really cute, and it's deceptively cute. <laughs> because the game is actually uh, pretty hard. <laughs> I actually have avoided like even looking at that game because of how cute it is. <laughs> yes, I, I really like your eyes, the art. You'll be blinded by the cute. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one and the final one I'm going to talk about is Kodama, which I actually just purchased and haven't even really had a chance to play yet, but I've seen it played a million times and I had to buy it because it is very adorable. And um, you are a tree spirit and you're trying to build your tree or build your forest, but you only have like one tree to grow off of. So you're really just building a tree. And this tree is full of little tiny tree spirits and you're trying to get them all to like line up and um, so you're getting the most out of your victory points so the more little like inchworms you have on one tree like line one big wavy tree line the more points you'll get so it's unique because you have you start with your tree base and you're getting you're drawing cards to add on to your tree but you can really add them any way. You can turn the cards any way you want. You can add them to any of the branches off your tree as long as your tree keeps growing. So you have cards like in most games where you're seeing the cards go in a straight lines across the board or maybe sideways across the board or whatever. But these ones are all like just crooked and going whatever way they need to go for you to build your tree. It's kind of really neat to look at. That sounds really cool. I've never I've never seen that game played before. It's uh, it's really, really cute. It's the whole reason I bought it. <laughs> After I just said I avoided Dungeon Pets because it's too cute. <laughs> so you got sucked into Kodama. You're avoiding Dungeon Pets. <laughs> the last game I want to discuss that has a unique theme. And honestly, the theme is kind of what initially drew me to the game because I heard what the theme was before I even knew anything about the mechanics or anything like that is Steampark. In Steampark, you are building an amusement park for robots. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, I'm in. Whatever it is, I don't care. That sounds awesome. And <laughs> The the gameplay is really fun. There's some simultaneous quick dice rolling that gives like a sense of urgency to the game. Tile placement stuff and uh, worker allocation. 
the artwork in it is done by Marie, I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong, uh, Carduat, Carduat, I don't know, it's French. And she also did the artwork for Dixit, which I know a lot of people mm. are familiar with. Her her artwork is just gorgeous. And yeah, Steampark is a lot of fun. And come on, amusement park rides for robots that they they spill oil and make a mess and you have to clean it up. Like they make your amusement park dirty and you have to clean it up uh, or you lose points. It's just funny. So as far as unique themes go, that one is definitely one of my favorites. For this week's board game etymology segment, I'm going to be looking at the origins of a part of board games that may not seem very unique on its own, but it's utilized in a lot of games in a lot of unique ways, and that is dice. While the singular form of the word dice, die, has its roots in the early 14th century in Old French, in the words that are spelled D-E and D-E-S... Not even going to pronounce them because, you know, it's not going to happen. The plural of die, dice, was originally spelled D-I-E-S. This follows what we commonly do today to pluralize words. Tack an S on the end, now it's plural. But even with that spelling, the word was pronounced similarly to how we say it today, with an S sound at the end, dice rather than with the more common today Z sound. Like if you were to pronounce D-I-E-S today, it's dies, and that's that Z sound. But it wasn't pronounced like that back then, even when it was spelled like that. So in the 1500s, a lot of other nouns that ended in S, their pronunciations started to shift to that Z sound that we're more common, that we're more used to today. And for whatever reason, dice did not follow that trend. They kind of did its own thing. And rather than its pronunciation changing, its spelling changed to fit the way it was being pronounced. So instead of being spelled D-I-E-S, it was changed to what we now know as D-I-C-E to maintain that S pronunciation, but with a different spelling. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, there and have been speculations. Unique. It is unique. <laughs> Once again, tying it all back up in a big old bow. But yeah, like there's been speculation as to why dice didn't follow the trends of the time. And someone online that I was uh, reading some information from was saying that dice are often thought of as like a non-plural noun. So something like mud or jello which don't really like there there are no plurals for those mm. words the dice was kind of grouped into stuff like that it's in people's minds even though it is a plural noun and it's countable like you can't count jello necessarily <laughs> like you can't count One mud jello, two jellos <laughs> 50 million jellos <laughs> but you can count dice there's or one die, two die, three dies, but for whatever reason, yeah, it just didn't follow the trend. Dice like to do their own thing, which, if anybody's ever watched the YouTube series Tabletop, for instance, if Will Wheaton's rolling them, yeah, they're they're going to show a one on a six-sided die more times than it should be humanly possible, <laughs> and we all mourn for Will Wheaton's dice rolling abilities. <laughs> 
I'm like Mine that. are just as bad. <laughs> the dice hate me. <laughs> and that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, www.boardgameblitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, and Board Game Geek Guild. Have suggestions for the show or just want to say hello? Shoot us an email at boardgameblitz at gmail.com. Until next time, find bliss in the blitz. Bye, everyone. Bye. And players have to... Okay, that's my alarm going off. <laughs> and I shouldn't have snoozed it. I should have turned it off because I'm an idiot. So we're gonna do that real quick. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, let's snooze it, so it'll go off again in nine minutes." That's smart. Oh goodness, good job, me.